0: Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings, where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today, our storyteller will address one of our listeners' favorite topics, parenting. So often, we fall into the trap of thinking our kids' success is completely dependent on us, or on the other hand, that their mistakes indicate our failure as mothers. Katie talks about that pressure and how God taught her to release control of her kids and their decisions. But it took a somewhat significant, and I might mention newsworthy, mistake made by her son to shift her perspective on motherhood. You'll have to hear her story to learn how and why. Katie also shares how parenting has helped her transform her relationship with God from one based on head knowledge to one grounded in convictions of her heart. Here is Katie. Um, I'm
1: just so thankful to have the opportunity to be here today. In large part, I'm here because of Lindy. over to my right. She kind of kept telling me, I really want you to tell your story. I want you to tell your story. She introduced me to Robin, as she was saying. And Robin and I had coffee. And like she said, as soon as I started talking about what God has taught me through my kids, she was like, oh, I have chills. That's what I want you to talk about. So I kind of thought, really? People want to hear about me raising my kids? And she was like, yes. And so I'm pretty much an open book. But I didn't know if my kids were so much an open book. And I'm referencing my son a lot. And so um, he's almost twenty years old. He's at Auburn, and I called him and I said, "Look, I've been asked to do to do this. Are you okay with me talking about X, Y, and Z?" And he said, "Sure." I don't care. And I said, do you want me to use your name? He's like, I don't care. And so, um, so anyway, you're going to hear me talk a lot about my son. I think we learn a lot through our firstborn. And so our secondborn doesn't have as many mistakes maybe along the way. And, um, and so anyway, when I'm referencing him, I still have my daughter as well. And I'll kind of tie her in at the end a little bit. But anyway, um, a little bit... Um, disclaimer. First, I'm not here to tell you how to raise your children. Um, and um, I'm not saying that I've raised mine perfectly. Quite the opposite. You're going to hear um, about many mistakes that I've made. And I'm just hoping that maybe you can relate a little bit to trust issues and um, and maybe then be encouraged um, in your walk with God and encouraged, uh, maybe get a little bit of wisdom from my mistakes. And then most importantly, I really hope that you just leave in God a little bit more with your kids. So, Wanted to just throw that disclaimer out. Um, So a little bit of background about me. Um, I grew up here in Birmingham. I went to Shades Valley High School back when it was off of 280. I said, you know, you're old when your high school's been torn down. (laughs) And um, (laughs) and then from there, I went to Auburn University. Before um, I went to Auburn, I actually met my husband, uh, my sister, who's here with me today. She and my husband have the same birthday. They were friends at Auburn. And they said when they turned 21, they wanted to celebrate together. So I was my husband's sober driver. (laughs) Uh, It's a very romantic story story. Um, Anyway, so we met when we were really, really young. Um, We were talking about, I just turned 48 this past month, and we were talking about how we've known each other for 30 years, and we'll be married for 25 this summer. So we really have grown up together. Um, Getting married at uh, 23 was super tough For me. And I honestly believe it was because I was so immature in my faith with God. Um, I had a super skewed view of who God was. I kind of thought He was someone who. Uh, I selfishly viewed him as someone who would give me things or not give me things. I thought he was a God who kept track of my sins and I thought he was a God who had favorites. And, um, it was really, I mean, I look back on my teens and my twenties and I just cringe, you know, at who I thought he was because it's just entirely not who our father is. And so because I was so immature in my faith, I placed a lot of pressure on my husband, Alan, in fulfilling areas that he just was not capable of fulfilling. Um, But the spiritual story of um, the growth in our marriage is... Another time, um, what I am thankful for is just the history that I have with Alan. Um, he really has just grown into this, and I'll start crying. He's grown into this wise spiritual leader, and things that bothered me in my twenties. I'm just so thankful for now. Um, he is very. Our personalities are very different. He's very much a black and white, fact-driven person, and I am all about the gray and um, very emotional. And what what I've learned though is just how Having those two viewpoints has helped us so much, especially in parenting um, our children and especially as they've gotten older, um, parenting them. So, as I mentioned, I got married a little after I graduated from uh, college. I uh, worked in the television news industry, actually, for a while, and then went from there to corporate public relations. And while I wasn't someone who just loved working, I certainly um, did not want to be a mom. I just had no urge to be a mom. I've heard stories of women saying, oh, I just felt this calling to be a mom, and that just wasn't me. And I think in large part, well, first of all, I was probably just scared of kids. (laughs) And I think probably in large part, looking back, I was. Scared I was going to be bad at it, and so I was like, I don't know if I want to go there. And um, so fast forward about four years into our marriage, and Alan and I were talking about having kids, and we kind of just. Said, let's try, and bam, I got I got pregnant. And so in uh, May of 1999, I had my son Collins, and um, I quit my job to raise him. And someone who I never saw myself being a mom just suddenly became my purpose in life. I was just like, this is who God created me to be, you know. And so um, I had him when I was 28, and then just two years later, I had my daughter Emma. And um, and honestly, it's where I found my identity. Like, I just was like, this is who I'm meant to be. Um, you know, I'm going to throw myself all in, you know, with my kids. And, um, and so while I loved staying at home and raising my babies, it was also very exhausting. I don't know where you are um, in your walk with your children, but it can be a very thankless job as well. And at that time when they were younger... Alan was working a lot, and, um, and I just kind of got to a place where I was just angry a lot and sad, and, um, and I just remember when I was 32 years old, I was in the car. Collins, my son, was four, and, um, and Emma was two, and I just remember thinking, God, I, just, I don't like who I am you know, I, I'm, I'm either mad or I'm angry, especially with Alan. And I, I need you to show up. And honestly, I can, I can remember thinking back on that day and just thinking, I know I need to change. I was just making selfish decisions. And, um, and I was like, I need to change. And so at that time, I just thought, okay, God, I'm all in. And I'm just going to see if you show up. And so, like I said, I was 32. And, um, and it's funny, literally like a few months later, I got a call from the church that I was attending, and they asked if I would help co-lead a Bible study with a woman who was about 10 years older than me. Keep in mind, I knew nothing about the Old Testament, and the New Testament, I had a very skewed view of it, didn't really understand it. I, I mean, looking back on it, I think they had to have been desperate to ask me <laughs> to to lead this Bible study. But, um, but I thought, you know, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do this. And he showed up in such a big way, that first Bible study I led. Um, I just spiritual truths were revealed to me. But most importantly, He introduced me to about three women who were about 10 or 15 years older than me that really walked through my 30s with me. And um, and I just learned so much. And at that time, I didn't realize it, but it was just a calling that God had placed on my life to lead Bible studies. It was something that I just became very passionate about. I mean, I do think God's Word is so true that if you draw close to Him, He's going to draw close to you. And so during that time, I probably, while I was at this church, led about 20, Five Bible studies, and um, gained a lot of head knowledge. And I mean, I remember one Bible study in particular that spoke to me called "Believing God" by Beth Moore. And one of the questions that she said in it was, "Do you believe in God, or do you believe God?" She just um, she just kind of erased, you know, that in, and it was just kind of an aha moment of. You know, am I believing in God in this situation, or am I believing God? And um, because there's such a big difference between having this head knowledge, you know, understanding churchy words like justification, sanctification, and salvation, and it's another thing to take that which you know here and apply it to your heart, and then put it into action in your life, and then especially you know your children's lives. Um, I wish so much that I would have um, known more about that heart knowledge when I was in my 30s, um, because. I think that it would have helped me in raising my children and not be such a control freak. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background of my control issues. I don't know if some of you are going to be able to relate. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Um, But uh, I was that mom who had to have her child in a certain Mother's Day Out program because they were going to get left behind if I didn't get them in there. I was the mom who wrote letters to the principals to make sure that they got the right teachers. I was the mom who laid out their clothes the night before and made sure that um, at the time my son and my daughter would match. Um, My daughter, who was a tomboy... Every morning, I would put a bow in her hair fighting her to do it. Um, I uh, had my kids in certain playgroups with other moms that had the exact same beliefs that I did. And I pretty much just picked who my um, kids' friends were at that time. Um, I had them in VBS every summer. And because I was so involved with church, I got really involved with Bible Club at East, I've and seeing the signs around. And, um, and I really thought I was doing everything that God wanted me to do. You know, I really was, I really thought, you know, I'm, I've got, I've got a good control over, um, this situation. And, um, I do think that God was really pleased with some of my decisions at that time. I really do. But I think that he was also kind of whispering, okay, Katie, when are you going to let go of Collins and Emma? Because they're really mine. They're not yours. As much as you think that you created them, I really did. And as much as you think they're for your glory, they're really for mine. And, um, and so, and, he, and I really think he was saying, you know, when are you going to trust me? And I think I really had big trust issues at that time, because if I was honest with myself, there was only one person that I trusted with my kids, and that was me. Um, I was their biggest advocate. I knew their personalities. I knew what they were good at. I knew what they weren't good at. I knew how they learned best. Um, and, and I really just thought, you know, I was responsible for everything they did, good and bad. And um, and at that time, it was you know it was great when things were good, but it wasn't so great when they did bad things or made bad choices because everything came back to me. Um, so as you can imagine, as they got older and into middle school, that trust issue continued to linger on. And I thought I'm responsible to be- to develop my kids into their highest potential. It's all on me. So now, it was baseball coaches and cheer coaches and piano lessons and art classes and sports clinics and tennis lessons. I mean, the list could really go on and on. And then I was also, okay, I've got to make sure they're in church and I've got to put them on mission trips because heaven forbid, they don't know Jesus until I did. They've got to know Jesus before I did. And um, like their salvation was up to me. You know, their salvation was not up to me. I know without a doubt that God honored my desire, you know, in, in those areas. But I also learned that God's the one who writes their testimony. You know, I'm not the one who writes their testimony. So during those early teenage years, I just became a professional (coughs) worrier. I worried about... That I wasn't doing enough. I worried that I was doing too much. I worried that I didn't have them involved in enough activities. I worried I had them involved in too many activities. I worried about their grades. I worried about their teachers. I worried about their friend group. Um, I worried that they didn't have enough friends. Um, I mean, honestly, if you you name it, and I probably um, worried about it. And there, and my imagination would go crazy. I don't know if you're you're like this, but I I would lay in bed and think about things that play these movies I've talked about with my sister before. These movies that just never happen. You know, you're like, well, what if this happens and this and this? And, um, and I just think, you know, if I could give myself some advice back then, I would just be like, chill out and pray. You know, that's your biggest weapon, you know, just pray. And, um... I had this picture, you know, in my head too, that I think that I wanted my kids to be in. And um, and little did I know my picture was about to get called out because God had some lessons um, in store for me. One of those lessons came in the study of idol addiction. And I'm not sure if any of you have done idol addiction, but it's by Julie Sparkman, who's actually based here in Birmingham. And it called me out on this picture that I had um, because, at the time, I thought my children are a reflection of me, so they need to get in my picture. And I was trying to do everything I could to make sure that they got into this picture that I thought they needed um, to be and act like. I took this study once and then I let it three times <laughs> because I really just knew God was desperately trying to tell me something. And um, and I knew that I needed to let go of the picture, but I just didn't know how to. It was like I would try to let go and then I'd yank it back. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of, at that time, I wish that I would have um, relinquished it all because my worrying for Collins, especially, was kind of at an all-time high when he was in eighth grade. Um, Collins has a late birthday, and every um, year we were kind of like, do we hold him back? Do we not hold him back? And there was never a reason really to hold him back academically, and so we didn't. But socially was probably another issue that we ran into in junior high, um, He he wasn't necessarily immature. He was just very innocent and naive. And where um, all of his really good friends that he hung out with in elementary school, they kind of started hitting puberty. And they were a little bit more into girls. And Collins was a little bit more into Xbox. (laughs) (laughs) And we were those parents who would not let him have a phone until the end of eighth grade. And by that time, um, they were texting and they would get together through group text. And so he'd get left out. And so he was home a lot. Now, my, my daughter, Emma, is a completely different story. And like I said, I'll reference her a little bit later. She's definitely an extrovert, miss Social. She has FOMO really bad. Um, and, um, but I'll, like I said, my story will revolve around Collins and I'll, I'll come back to her. Um, at the time, Collins had a couple of good friends, um, but I wanted him to have a lot of friends. And so I worried. And, um, and then, on January twelfth of two thousand thirteen, uh, Collins was like I said in eighth grade at this time, and Emma was in fifth grade, and we got a call from one of my oldest, dearest friends. They were our friends who were really more like family. We, um, they had a son that was Collins' age and a daughter Emma's age, and we went on vacations together. We'd spent New Year's Eve together, um, just very close uh, as friends. And um, anyway, I get a call from um, from my friend, and she says, "I need you to pray." She said. We Their 13-year-old son had been shot in a hunting accident, and um, and she said it doesn't look good. So I need you to pray, and um, and so my whole family, like I can still visualize it. We were all in my bedroom, and we just all start praying. My kids, you know, fifth grade, eighth grade, and um, and then like literally five minutes later, we get a call back that he had passed away, and um, it was absolutely shocking. For us to go through as a family, to watch our dear friends, you know, go through something that I think is probably one of the most horrific things that you can go through. And um, and, you know, as I as I think back on that, um, it was really absolutely overwhelming for so many people who loved Will Um, and then two months later, my father unexpectedly passed away. And it was a very difficult time in, um, in my life and, of course, in my children's lives. Um, as I look back on it, I think that I really went through a season of depression. With my father, there were a lot of things that were left unsaid and things left undone. And, um, and really, the guilt from his passing was just crushing to me. And I can remember my husband saying to me, Katie, you know, all you can do is learn from it. And, um, and so I took that to heart and I really just poured myself, you know, into God. And I think, you know, one of the gifts, uh, that, that God gives with death is perspective. And, um, and he definitely gave that to me, just looking at life differently, that nothing's guaranteed. Um, looking at life through the lens of eternity of just what's important and what's not important. And, um, and so I tried to, at that time, you know, relinquish control a little bit of some of the things that I was worrying about. And so in the fall of that year, Colin started high school, Emma started middle school. And, um, and, you know, Colin still, it was a little bit of a transition period of him finding kind of a friend group. Um, as I look back, it was just, uh, it, God was in control, um, you know, he had a wonderful group of friends that he, you know, had on the horizon for Collins, and um, and I, as I look back to, I kind of wish that I would have enjoyed the time of him being at home with me a little bit more. So, if you're in that season of like friends transitioning with your with your children, just try to rest in um, in God's arms and pray and trust and pray that God brings you know the right friends, you know, to your child. Um, But by the end of Colin's sophomore year, um, God had just, like I said, brought this wonderful group of of boys into his life. And they're boys that he still, you know, um, sees and talks with. And and I was happy and I was just proud of him. And, um, you know, as I look back, I was like, I was proud because he didn't care about being popular. You know, he was happy where he was. I was proud because he didn't drink. At the time, and um, <laughs> and I was proud. Um, I was proud because he was really involved with church. At that time, we had switched um, churches to Church of the Highlands, and he had really um, plugged into the youth group there. And he had even gotten some of his friends, you know, involved with the youth group. And I was proud because people would tell me what a polite, sweet kid he was. And if you notice, like a little word pattern there, I was proud. And as God's Word says, pride comes before destruction. And um, and God had um, some lessons in store for me just around the corner. And as I tell this story, I'm going to give you permission to laugh <laughs> because I can laugh at it now. But in the moment, I was completely mortified. Um, it was Like, it was Colin's junior year. It was New Year's Day, and um, we had gone down to the lake as a family, and we were doing some work, you know, around the house. We'd been working all day. I was exhausted that night, and I'm about to get in the bed, and my husband um, says, hey. He hands me his phone, and he says, read this. I want you to see this. And I get his phone. I'm going to read you the the headline that I read. It says, Naked Man Celebrates New Year's Eve by Doning Ronald Reagan Mask Terrorizing the Neighborhood. (laughs) I don't know if any of you remember the story. <laughs> um, but then I proceed to read. A man wearing nothing but a Ronald Reagan face mask and a sock was captured <laughs> on surveillance video outside the Alabama house of Jersey Bell, reality TV star. She took to the internet to post the video of her naked peeping Tom, who was still on the loose. <sighs> I proceed to watch the video and I look at Alan and I'm looking at this creepy little man naked peering into the house of this reality TV star and then he dashes off and I looked at Alan and I said, oh my gosh, do we know who this is? Whose child is this? He was like, oh, you know who it is. And I was like, who is it? And he goes, that would be Collins. And I said, oh, what? My husband goes to bed. You know, I'm like wide-eyed in the bed the rest of the night. My heart, I mean, literally, y'all, I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't sleep. And like I said, I can laugh about it now, but I was in the pits, you know, at this moment. I start, um, I start thinking, what in the world, you know, how this happened. And then Alan does proceed to tell me, well you know, that great group of friends he was with. <laughs> they had played a card game and on New Year's Eve, and the bet was, you know, if you lost the card game, you had to go ding-dong ditch somebody naked. And, um, you know, luck of the draw would have it, Collins lost the bet. And then luck of the draw would have it, he chose the one house in Birmingham that had a camera on the door as he's going there. So he tells me all this, you know, I just wanted to cry. In fact, I know I cried. And, um, and, and my husband was like, it's going to be okay, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, I was like, here's my near-perfect son, and he looks like a skinny drug addict naked. And people think he's terrorizing the neighborhood. And, um, and then so the next morning, and I'm thinking, and it's on alabama.com, and people are going to know. And then the next morning, um, Alan comes into the bedroom. He goes, well, just want you to know, it was on the Atlanta news. I was like, what? <laughs> It was on all the Birmingham channels. It was in Miami. It was in Chicago. It was on Inside Edition. Um, It was, you know, I went to England, to Canada. The last time I looked, it was in Ireland. And I wanted to die. Um, At that time, I told a couple of dear friends and my sister, but other than that... I just hunkered down, <laughs> and it didn't help that I was reading all the comments of what people were saying about my son and about me. Um, it, it was really one of those moments where I was like, I can't, "I'm not going to be able to. I can't get out of this hole." You know, and I just really, I just felt alone. I felt like just darkness kind of overcoming me. And you know, what my friends and my sister—they're like, "It's going to be okay." Alan was saying, "It's going to be okay." But I just really didn't think it was. You know, my, my mind went crazy with um, with all these what ifs. And let me tell you, that picture I had it was yanked out and shattered onto the floor at this moment. Um, my imagination went crazy with what ifs of you know what if what if these people you know sue Collins or what if they what if they want him arrested for trespassing or what if the school finds out? Are they going to suspend him? What if, um, what if people, you know, adults find out and they don't want their kids to hang out with him and, and, you know, what are people going to think of me? You know, because this is my child. at that time, I was leading a group of, of women in a Bible study who I still have the privilege of leading today, and some of them are um, in here. But um, I knew that I was going to have to tell them. Um, and so I was thinking, I'm going to have to say that, that naked lunatic on the video that everybody's talking about, that's my son. And, um, and I can say that laughing, but like I said, I, it was a different story then. Um, but I just have to tell you, bringing light to that situation and telling my Bible study just, I I can't even explain it except just like if you're in a really dark closet and then finally somebody kind of opens the door and lights brought in and you don't feel alone or scared anymore. And that's really what these women um, did for me. They cried. With me over it, um, even the silliest requests that I was asking them to pray over, um, they were like, "We're praying over it," and um, and I was like, "You know, will you will you just be his advocate if anybody's talking about him?" And they were committed, you know, as if they were his mom as well, to just stand arm in arm alongside me, and um, and just pray me and Collins um, through it. And God was so faithful through that. He just protected Collins in so many ways. First of all, we had him go to the family and tell them what had happened, and they were so forgiving. And, um, we actually made him do yard work for the family to try to teach him a lesson through all of it. Um, God protected him, you know, with school. Um, I had a really good friend who was um, a teacher there at the school and she was like, nobody's talking about it, which just shocked me, especially just in the school system kind of that we're in. Um, I was just thinking everybody's going to be talking about it. And, um, and if other adults were talking about Collins, I never knew God protected me, you know, through that. So, I I look back on it and I think, you know, this stupid decision that my child made, a decision that I would have never wanted him to make, God used it to really shape me and teach me so many truths about who he is. The first thing he taught me was about self-righteousness and to just be like, you know what, Katie, don't judge any other child. Don't judge any other parent because everybody's just trying to do the best they can do. The second thing he taught me was um, about humility, that I can't take credit when my kids do good. And he taught me about shame, that I can't take credit when they do bad either. Um, He taught me about where my identity was and about who my children belong to, that my children were not an extension of me, that they were an extension of God. Um, Yes, I'm their mom. Yes, I love them. Yes, I teach them as best as I can. I try to set them up to succeed, but they are ultimately His. I learned the importance of not caring what anyone thinks about my child because I know who they are. Um, Most importantly, I've learned that I cannot make my children's choices. Um, They aren't my robots, just like I'm not God's robot. You know, I can speak truth to them, and I can try to guide them, and I can forgive them, and I can have consequences to their actions, but I cannot control them. And that was huge for me at the time. Something that devastated me um, as a mom has just been the biggest teaching moment that God could ever give me. And I was, I was really at that moment, I was like, oh God, they're yours you know, here they are, they're yours. And there was a verse that I really just clung to at that time. It's from Psalm 910. It says, those who know your name, trust in you for you will never forsake those who seek you. And I thought, okay, Lord, I trust you. I trust you now. I trust that your plan is going to be better. No matter what I feel, I'm going to trust that you're there and you're in the midst of it. So fast forward to 2017, Emma had started the high school and Collins was going off to college. Um, he graduated from high school. I I think, you know, being a mom is so interesting. It's like you pour your life into this child and then you just have to let them go. It's, it's really the hardest thing I think to do as a woman. Um, but I was resting in that trust that God was with him. I, I remember even praying, okay, God, I can't go with him, but you can. You know, you can go with him. So protect him. And um, and I talked to Collins about everything. I talked to him about drinking. I talked to him about drugs, fraternities. I talked to him about boundaries with his girlfriend. Um, I talked to him uh, about, like I said, fraternities, everything. The one thing I did not talk to him about is going to class. <laughs> I, I thought I thought that was a given, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't. So, in the fall of that year, fall break, uh, we found out that Collins was not doing well academically at all. And um, through a little bit of um, investigating through Life Three Hundred and Sixty, um, we saw that he was going to about three hours out of the fifteen he was signed up for. And my mind kind of started going down that imagination. What, what is he on drugs? Well, I mean, why, is he, why isn't he going to class? So we FaceTimed him and we confronted him about it. And he, you know, he was emotionally upset, you know, but he said, I, I'm going to get him up. I'm going to get him up, you know. And, um, and it really began this process of Alan and I trying to figure out how we were going to get him out of this mess. Um, we talked to his counselor at Auburn. Uh, we, we tried to figure out, can, can he drop some classes, um, we spoke to his counselor again, and in the midst of it all, Alan and I really just kept lowering our standard of, of what it was going to take for him to be able to go back you know, for that second semester. And, um, and God was just so faithful in that he really just gave this vision to my husband. At the time, he was reading the one-year Bible, and I remember coming in one morning, he said, Katie, I think God's telling us to bring Collins home. And, um, and he said, you know, I'm reading the story of Balaam and the donkey, and I don't know how many you are familiar with the story in the Bible, but it's, it's about a, a so-called prophet who really wants to do something, you know, and God kept telling him no, and, um, and he still wants to do it, so he gets on the donkey, and, um, and God sends an angel that the donkey sees, but Balaam can, cannot see, and Balaam's trying to get the donkey to go, you know, and, and the donkey just will not go, because he sees, you know, the protection that God is giving him, and um, Alan just says to me, Katie... I tried to, I think we're trying to make this donkey go. <laughs> he said. Um, I, he goes. We're trying to make it so Collins can go back, and you know maybe he sees something that we can't see. And so when Collins came home that Christmas, we sat him down and we told him, you know, that he wasn't going to be going back, and he didn't know, you know, and um, and there was. A lot of tears. He, you know, when you're, when your son who looks like a man, you know, is crying, saying, I screwed up, I screwed up. All the mama wants to do is go hug him and say, it's okay, go back and just do better. (laughs) (laughs) But we knew that wasn't what God was calling us to do. And, um, and so, you know, we brought him home. And, you know, at the first time in my life, I didn't have any anxiety over it. I didn't have any fear over it. And for the first, first time in my life, I could care less what anybody else thought, you know, about us bringing him home. All that I cared about was that we were doing what God wanted us to do. And let me tell you, God showed up in so many miraculous ways when we brought him home. The first way um, he showed up was my sister-in-law, who's a child psychologist in Auburn. She kept saying, you know, you might want to get him tested for ADD. And, um, and Alan and I were really kind of against it. You know, we were like, he doesn't have ADD. And I told Alan, I said, let's just take him and just see what happens. And God led us to just this perfect psychologist who really ran Collins through a bunch of tests. And then he sat Alan and I down and he was like, I mean, he has it pretty bad. And, um, and he said, I'm really surprised he got through high school as good as he did. And, and, and it was just so wonderful because he was able to explain to us really what ADD is. Because Alan and I really didn't know what it was. And, you know, we also were really against putting him on any medication. And um, this psychologist said, you know, in Colin's particular case, you're going to be doing a disservice to him if you don't get him on medication. So I was so thankful that Collins was at home, you know, when we found this out. And he was able to be at home with us as we kind of figured out the medication. With that. The second thing was um, one of our requirements when Collins came home was that he had to get a job. He was going to have to pay his rent at Auburn and he was going to have to save for half of his tuition if he wanted to go back. Those were kind of our two rules there. And so, um, grace of God, he ended up interviewing um, with Harvard Construction Company and got a job at a construction site. Um, And God just showed up in so many ways there, as far as just some of the workers that he worked with just mentored Collins so wonderfully you know during that time. Um, Collins would wake himself up at five thirty in the morning he would work from six in the morning till about four and then on some nights he would go to Jeff State for his class and so he really learned this discipline of hard work and and I think he had a little bit more of respect you know for hard work and earning money. Um, and then God gave him this passion for the construction industry, and Collins was like, I really want to go into building science. When he was at Auburn that fall, he was just kind of floating around. He didn't really know what he wanted to do, but now he kind of had this plan, and not only a plan, but a passion, you know, of, of what he saw his future um, looking like. Um, God showed up in so many different ways that I don't have time um, to tell, but, but one of the biggest ways that he showed up was, as I mentioned, my um, sister-in-law was a child psychologist in Auburn, and she said, you know, you might want to look into a medical withdrawal. And I, and I thought, what's a medical withdrawal? And she goes, well, you know, they usually save it for someone who's got a really bad um, illness, you know, while they're at school, and they're able to withdraw, you know, from all their classes and, and drop everything, and, you know, everything's wiped clean. And she said, I don't know if they'll do it, but it wouldn't hurt. And, um, and so we thought, well, we'll try it. I was not hopeful at all. Um, we got in touch, you know, with who we need to get in touch with. But then we gave it to Collins and said, look, this is up to you. If you want, if you want to try to see if this works, you're, you've got to pursue this. There was a lot of paperwork to fill out. So many questions, really detailed questions that Collins had to answer. A lot of paperwork for our psychologists to fill out. They had to meet with his professors that he had that fall as well. And, um, and then last May... Um, Collins got an email that said um the board had met and you know at first we really were not going to pass it, but we've seen the work that you're doing in trying to get back here to Auburn and we've seen the test results from the psychologist and we've talked to your professors, and because of all of that, we're approving it. And y'all at that moment I was just like, Collins, this is a gift. From God, like, do you realize this is your testimony? Like, this is part of your testimony. I I, I was praising God. I was um, I, ju- I, again I kept saying, Collins, this is a second chance. Like, a lot of people don't get a second chance, but we serve a God who is full of second chances, and um, and as I look back on what happened, that year, I can see how God kind of prepared me for it. Because again, I didn't have any anxiety. I had peace the whole time. I was an open book. If you saw me in the grocery store, I'd be like, well, Collins is at home. And I mean, people were like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I I was fine because I'd I'd walked kind of through that um, with God. And then I also realized my picture would have been for Collins to go to Auburn and make a 4.0 that fall. But his picture was better. you know, bringing him home and him finding out all of of those things about himself, you know, really a lot of soul searching um, for him. God's plan was so much better. Um, since then, I, Alan and I have been confronted by a lot of parents who are kind of going through the same thing, but they don't know who to talk to. And so Alan and I have been able to kind of encourage them in that. Um, we've also been able to just share what God did, um, through us bringing him home because we trusted in God. And so, you know, I just love being able to tell them, you know, God is in the tiniest of details, not just in your life, but in your children's life as well, um, one of the things Alan and I have, uh, have, have learned is, is how to parent Emma, you know, a little bit differently. Um, as I mentioned, she's much different than Collins. Uh, very social, um, very much an extrovert, um, but we parent her very differently. Um, and in large part, it's because we've learned to trust God. Um, I've learned to listen to the Holy Spirit especially when it comes to rules and discipline. You know, those knee-jerk reactions that I had before, I'm able to kind of withdraw a little bit and ask God, you know, okay, where are you in this? How do you want me to, to handle this situation? When Emma makes mistakes, I don't take them personally. You know, for so long, if my children made a mistake, I took it personally. I thought it was my fault, or I thought, you know, what, do I just not know my child? I mean, all of those thoughts would go through my head. And when Emma makes a mistake now, you know, I'm just like, okay, look, you've made this mistake. What are we going to learn from it? Um, I don't worry about what people think about me, you know, and I certainly don't worry about what they think about my child. You know, you know your child's heart, right? I mean, you know who they are. And that's how I am with Emma. I know who she is. I don't care what anybody else thinks about her. Yes, I try to make sure she's doing the right thing. And um, I try to make sure she's living up to her potential and that she's being a kind person. But I can't make her choices for her. I cannot make her decisions. It's really freed me, I think, from the anxiety of raising a high schooler who is super social and is immersed in the peer pressure that goes along with that releasing her over to that Um, I've learned too as simple as it sounds trust God and don't let your imagination go to those what ifs you know as soon as I start that movie in my head I'm like reel it back in you know and a dear friend of mine told me this quote recently and I was like oh I wish I thought I had that you know years ago but she said Katie God is going to give you enough faith in your present reality not your imagination and I thought oh I wish I would have known that. You know, God's going to give me enough faith in my present reality, not my imagination. It's um, it's a quote that I put on um, the cards that we're giving out today. That along with Psalm 910 that says, you know, those who who um, know your name, trust in you, and you're never going to forsake those who seek you. So in the end, I really do hope that I've encouraged y'all a little bit. I hope that you've saw- seen that, yes, we serve an awesome, powerful God, but we also serve a God who is intimate, who is gentle, and who really longs to be in those tiny details so that He can reveal truths to you and so that you can rest and trust Him a little bit more. You know, um, just like we love our children more than anything, our Father in Heaven loves us and our children infinitely more, and He's trustworthy, and did I mention His plan is better? As much as we don't think it is, His plan is better. So again, like I, hope, I hope you rest in, in knowing that. And um, as we close today, I really hope that, that, that you leave trusting God you know, a little bit more, you know, whatever you're really holding on tight to, you know, just try to release it a little bit to him. And then I do want to give a shout out to Collins if he's listening. (laughs) Thank you for letting us exploit you and your choices so that we can all learn to trust God a little bit more. So anyway, thank y'all so much. And we have a little bit of time for questions. If anybody has questions, um, yes.
0: When you were embarrassed
1: personally, mm-hmm. feeling like things were so public mm-hmm. over a child that you had all these expectations mm-hmm. for and held to his own standard, did he have remorse? Did you? How did you parent through mm-hmm. that with him without shaming him, mm-hmm. just pointing him to Christ and just loving him in the midst of that? Did he ever show remorse for Did he care that it was so publicly? Um, you know, he was a teenage boy, so he thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> his and his friends did, too. I, um, I, you know, listen, I would say, you told your friends not to put that anywhere. Um, I, I really, uh, I, what I tried to do, I think, in that moment was to see that there are consequences to his choices, not just that affect him, but that affect other people around him. You know, I, I do think that he was remorseful that I was hurt so much. Um my husband wasn't. You know, he thought he was like I oh, was just a teenage boy. Um I was the one and my my daughter was just like <gasps> You know, at that time she was thinking it was going to affect her as well, and um, and you know I even had I teach group exercise. I even had a lady come up to me that said, "Um, "I hope your son was not involved in that chaos that went on," and I was like, (laughs) and I just took off. And I remember calling him in that moment, going, "This is what happened to me today," and and, you know, I I wish I would have handled it differently. Um, but I do think in the end he kind of saw, you know, just that there are consequences to your actions that You know, you might think are funny, but they hurt other people too. So I think he did see that at that time. He still thinks it's pretty cool. <laughs> Anybody else? I know boys, right? Um, again, y'all. I mean, I will say, like I, I mean, I'll, I'll make mistakes. You know, my daughter ha- has made mistakes. But if, if I could just encourage you at all, is, as moms, we just want to hold on to our children. And, and we want to think that we know them better than anybody. And I've also come to the conclusion that as they get older, we might not know them as best. You know, they're, you, know you have a lot of influence on them. But let me tell you, when they hit high school, that influence, it's pretty much with their peers. And so I would just encourage you, Pray. You know, like I said, if I could tell my old self, chill out and pray. Because God can do miraculous things. And again, he's shaping them for a testimony. That's one thing we used to one guy told us when we brought Collins home from college, he said, Oh, he's working on his testimony. And I was like, Yes, that's exact I'm gonna hold on to that. That's what he's doing. He's working on his testimony. So if your child makes a mistake and they're in elementary school, junior high, whatever, God's working on their testimony. You know, just try to hold on to that instead of taking it so personally like you failed, you know, at something because they made a bad choice, you know? Anyway. What was
0: the big jump that you saw from middle school to high school?
1: Hmm. Um, the, biggest jump for Collins, uh, it was the biggest jump for Collins, was different Collins' and the biggest jump for Collins was the friend group issue. Um, you know, he, ninth and tenth grade was a tough year um, for him. And, um, and so... Like I said, he was home a lot, and um, and I worried, you know, because he was home a lot, and I wish I would have enjoyed that time more with him being home. Um, so that was probably the biggest difference, you know, for him. He found his place, you know, really did, junior year and senior year. My daughter, who's super social, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've seen, I mean, you know... <laughs> It's just a faster-paced world that they're in. Um, Social media is really tough, especially for a girl. And you've got to really have open lines of communication. And I think those are set when they're younger. You know, being sure that your child can trust you. And I think that also goes back to when they make mistakes when they're younger, not freaking out. You know, kind of talking through it and um, and praying with them over it. You know, my kids, a lot of times are like, oh, sure, she talks again about praying, you know, I mean, (laughs) because I I am constantly that way. But I think God is going to honor that when they're older, you know, as well. But, um, but, you know, I think that the transition period for MO is just that peer pressure that, that comes along with, um, with being social and, um, and wanting to be out all the time. And, and there's a lot of drinking, you know, going on. There's a lot of, um, Promiscuity going on, um, and you've got to talk to him about it. I mean, there were so many things I did talk to Collins about that I don't want on here. But, <laughs> but you, I mean, you've got to talk to him about everything from pornography to why you don't watch pornography. You know, with your boys in high school, because that's where it starts. There were times where I would get on my iPad and um, and Collins, you know, his friend group group chat came through, and I was like, what? Um, sweet boys, mamas I know, you know that go to church, you know, and um and, and and you know also you know I had another issue with Collins in high school too about um, Adderall very rampantly told at the high school, you got to talk to your kids about, you know, these things. Like, say, that's a drug. Collins had no clue that it was a drug, you know? I mean, he thought, oh, well, I'll take it and I can do better on a test Um, before he got diagnosed. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, like, they're selling it. Like, there are people, there are kids at the high school saying, hey, I'll sell you this pill for $5. You're going to do better on your test. And you've got to let them know that's illegal, you know? It's against the law. And, um, I mean, so I guess open lines of communication huge, whether your child is is shy and introverted or extroverted and and super social. Did you wait to give Emma a cell phone after 8th grade? (sighs) my husband, I went out of town and he got her a cell phone. (laughs) Yeah. She was in seventh grade. I think when we got her a cell phone. Um, and of course, you know, I do think Colin's generation of that. I mean, it was kind of like, that was the first middle school where they started getting stuff. Now I think I hear people getting cell phones when they're like in fourth grade, you know, I mean, I would hold off on a cell phone as long as possible. I almost wish like we could band together and just say no Snapchat and no, and no cell phones. Um, but, uh, yeah, we let her have it. A little bit sooner. We did, um, you know, hold off on several things. I mean, I would hold off on Snapchat as long as possible. Yeah, as long as possible, hold off on that. Um, Instagram is not much better, and now I think you can Snapchat kind of through Instagram too, but. Again, it comes back to trying to set a foundation for, hey, this is why I tell you no on these things. It's not because I'm trying to be, you know, this dictator. It's because I love you and I can see a little bit further down than you can. And I'm really just trying to protect you. I mean, really trying to have that kind of voice with your children as you're explaining things to them instead of being angry and, you know, mad because they're not fitting in your picture, you know, trying to, like, get those open lines of communication, I think, are huge. I see some of my older... Moms (laughs) Mom's <laughs> nodding. Yeah, they could, they could speak to you a lot about that as well. And, you know, I will say find a mentor. You know, somebody who is 10, 15 years older than you that's kind of gone through it, that you trust, you connect with, you know, somebody you connect with that you can, that can be kind of your go to person that can talk you off the ledge and say, okay, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, Because those women that I had, you know, in my 30s helped so much. And then my Bible study group. um, I'm just so thankful for this group of women. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a Bible study group, but just a group of women that you trust. Um, that will be there with you and lock arms with you and pray you through some things and won't think you're being silly because you're so worried about something. But really just somebody like especially when they get into high school. We need each other, I think, when when they go through those moments. And try to be transparent, too. Don't hide everything.
0: Yes? That's a good way to find out what's going on, like, in high school. You hope your child will be honest with you. But without gossiping with their moms, how do you find out the reality of like what actually the the pressures are? Okay.
1: Yeah, um, one of the things that I started doing years ago was praying, and this might be why Collins picked the one house with the camera, praying <laughs> that I found out everything they did. And um, because I really am, I'm not one of those moms that's kind of in the know of everything. I don't know if I want to be in the know of everything because um, I know I have tendencies to to probably be like, ugh, about a mom or a child or whatever. And I just don't want to know a lot of that. But I do want to know if there's something that I need to know about my child. And again, God's with them. And so pray to them and say, if they do something I need to know about. And guess what? We don't need to know everything. If they do something, I need to know about. Please reveal it to me, God. And let me tell you that that Adderall situation—that was a crazy. It, Colin's group chat or c- Colin's text messages started coming through my iPad. I, w- I i couldn't sleep one night, and I picked up my iPad and I was like, "Huh? His text messages are coming through." And I just kind of glanced through some of them, and then I hit one, and I was like, "Huh." oh oh and I was like Alan you know and he was like what and I told him and he's like let's go wake him up right now I mean like you know we brought him down there and um but I mean he showed up in kind of crazy ways like that and he's done that with Emma too like I've woken up before thinking I don't feel like something's right and like ring something wasn't right (laughs) you know finding out so yeah pray pray that God will reveal those truths to you if they're doing something you need to know about And, you know, as much as you can, I know we all want to know what's going on, uh, in our children's friends' lives, but really just try to not get in it. You know, I mean, it's so easy to just call a friend and be like, Oh my gosh, did you hear about blah, 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 blah. Um, but put yourself in their shoes and just, you know, try pray for them, you know, pray for them. And, um, and you know, one other thing, be, be grace filled with your children, allow them to make mistakes, you know, allow them to make those bad choices. Because if you think about your walk with Christ, probably the closest you got to Him was when you made stupid choices and you did things that you knew grieved Him and you were remorsefully sorry, you know, about that. That's kind of how you get to know who God is. So you don't want your children to live life completely, you know, sin-free or whatever, you know, bad choice. They never made bad choices. You want them to make some bad choices so that they understand God a little bit more through how you react to them with loving them and forgiving them we go over uh, no. oh, we're
0: good okay so you're welcome you're welcome
1: and if y'all have any questions or want to talk one on one with me um, feel free to come up and talk to me
0: thanks for joining us for Katie's story I hope that after hearing that all of you mamas out there feel some relief and encouragement about the role God has called you to and what he has not called us to we'll be back next Wednesday with another new episode and in the meantime you can always find us on our website storytellerslive.org, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. And then you can also find us on social media at Storytellers Live. And as always, we'd love to connect with you. And we also always appreciate the reviews and ratings on iTunes, because that is what helps spread the podcast to new ears. So we're so grateful for all of our listeners, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.